Reading now from the Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, here we go again. Here we go with a familiar teaching. Here we go with Jesus' disciples not getting it. If there's one thing the disciples do well in Mark's Gospel, it's not get it. They are really good at missing the point. For the second time in just over a week, Jesus has announced that he will be betrayed and and killed. That he, and because they are with him, they are literally on a death march. Jesus is on his way to surrender his power, to let go of his human instinct for self-preservation, his life. And the disciples respond with an argument about which one of them is the greatest. When Jesus asked about their conversation, at least we can say for the disciples that they were wise enough to keep silent. What an insult. To be so unmoved by Jesus' coming passion that they put their attention on their own desire for greatness. But Jesus is good. He realizes that most of the time when people say hurtful things, it's really about them and their junk, not about the person being attacked. Would that we be so aware Jesus, who is marching toward the greatest act of service in human history, says, Okay, you want to be great? Fantastic. I can work with that. But but just to be clear, in my kingdom, which is quite different than the Roman society you've been living among, in my kingdom, the last of all, the, the servant of all, is the one who is great. That's what greatness is to me. I'm glad you want to be great. I want you to be great. Go and humbly serve others. This, you can probably guess, was the exact opposite of how people in the Roman society thought of greatness. The great people in Roman society were served. They did not serve They did not even converse with people who did serve. They were real clear about those who were beneath them. One way that you knew someone was beneath you 
was if he talked to someone who was supposed to be beneath him. If he gave respect to a person beneath him, then he was clearly beneath you for giving respect to the other. As much as we'd like to say, thank God, that in our democratized society, all of that has changed, we sadly know that it has not. 2,000 years of claiming that Jesus is Lord and hearing him call us to be the last of all, to be servant of all. And I remember vividly my second grade playground experience when one of my friends came up to me and told me I couldn't be friends with the new white girl because she was friends with the black children. Now we might say, well, that was 30 Two years ago, I shouldn't hold my friend accountable for repeating things he learned in his home. I don't. I'm certain that he would not say it aloud anymore. And I would keep that as just a sad reminder of the way things were way back then if I haven't heard so many similar comments in so many other situations and not from eight-year-olds and not only about African-Americans. For some sad reason, there's something broken in us that feels better about ourselves if we can look down on some other self. If we can decide that that he's not as smart, or, or she's not as good looking, or they are not as sophisticated, we can pretend, as did our Roman ancestors, that we are somehow better. Enter Jesus, who realizes that most of the time people say and think hurtful things about others because it's really an expression of, of their junk. It's really about them, not those who received their attack. So Jesus doesn't respond to our prejudice by saying, you know, he's really great in this way. You know, she can do these amazing things. Let me tell you why you're wrong in judging them to be inferior. That's not how Jesus approaches us. Jesus is smarter than that. He knows how we can fix this problem. Jesus tells us to get to know them. He says, I'm thrilled that you want to be great because I want you to be great. And here's the way that you can be great. Be last of all. Be servant of all. Spend some time serving people you previously judged. People you previously dismissed. And then good old Jesus gave an object lesson. He took a child. The least of the least of these in that society into his arms. And you're like, that's it? I could do that. And Jesus is like, yeah, you can. And I expect you to do that. From time to time, I'll go to my children's school and have lunch with them. And whenever I I sit down at that table... I feel like one of those fish pellets that's been thrown into the midst of a bunch of hungry fish. 
like every direction there's somebody wanting to talk to me and, and I'll ask a question and they'll all respond and they're so excited that I'm there asking, interested. And you know what? I don't mind a bit. It's fun. It's, it's fun because what do adults need but to feel like we're doing something meaningful? And what do children need but for someone to do something meaningful with them? Last Wednesday evening, I had the best, most fun Wednesday night supper that I can remember having. I was privileged to be a table leader for one of the children's tables, and knowing that could be a really long 30 minutes, I came prepared. We played a game, I gave them a topic, and they wrote their response onto the tablecloth, the paper tablecloth. For example, I said, come up with a new name for a new crayon color. One of them wrote night black, and another wrote berry, berry violet, and then there was one that I still can't pronounce. I asked them a place that they'd like to go, and I expected them to say Australia or New York. One said Myrtle Waves. <laughs> Two said Heaven. So we decided that the Myrtle Waves of Heaven would be excellent. The water would always be the right temperature, no lines. They laughed. They were engaged. I laughed. I was engaged. I volunteered because I wanted to serve my turn. I've requested to do it again because I was served during my turn. To be sure, those children aren't the least of these in our community. But it does remind us of how this thing works. In God's economy, in Jesus' kingdom, it's not that we serve in order to be served, but somehow it's like God set this thing up so that when we do serve, very often we are served in return. How did Peggy Knight put it last week? For it is in giving that we receive. Those people who built a ramp yesterday for a 13-year-old with cerebral palsy. Those people who will build beds next month for children who are sleeping on the floor or too many in one small bed. Those people who go to a parking lot every Saturday morning to, to give necessities to those who are without. They're receiving as they're giving, it's not why they do it, but it's often how it goes. By allowing themselves to humble themselves, they're becoming great. And part of their greatness is that they are serving people they otherwise would not know which means caring about people they previously would not have known to care about. You've heard all this before. We keep hearing it because Jesus keeps saying it. He said it multiple times in multiple ways. He welcomed a child into his arms in one instance. He spoke of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, in another. He showed us that the very people society deems to be unworthy of us are the people who represent him best. For the thousandth time in your life, hear that again. 
The very people society deems unworthy of us are the people who represent Jesus best. We welcome them. A child or an adult on the fringes of society. The ignored, the mistreated, the abused, the scorned. When we welcome them, we welcome Jesus. Think about that. One more time. Think about that. And then think about how Jesus takes it one step further. When we welcome Him, He says, we welcome God. So here's the good news. The startling good news for today. Jesus' algebra. When we welcome C, we welcome J. When we welcome J, we welcome G. So when we welcome C, we welcome G. Now if you struggled in math, as did I... Let me try that another way. We welcome a child. We welcome Jesus. We welcome Jesus. We welcome God. So when we welcome a child, we're welcoming God. God who is good. God who is great. God who is above all that is and ever will be so humble that he said, when you welcome one such child in my name, you have welcomed me. And let's remember, he's not just talking about our precious little children. He's talking about his precious children. Child and adult. The hungry the naked, the thirsty, the sick, the imprisoned, the stranger. His precious children of any age, of any background, of any condition, the ones no one else wants to welcome. When we welcome them, we welcome Him. We hear this so often because it is central to Jesus' message. And we hear this often because we struggle with it. We struggle because it is hard to be great in this way. But the more we do it, the more we'll see why it is central to Jesus' message. Welcoming God, while not always easy, and not always fun, can be both. Either way, it's always the gospel.